The following sermon was delivered to Christ Central Church in order to further our knowledge and adoration of who God is. We pray that it displays the hope found in Christ and strengthens your faith in Him. Well, we find ourselves this morning in a, a similar text in a lot of ways as to what has come before in our study in Mark. It's, this is another healing performed by Jesus. Now, I thought about that, about how it's, it feels, you know, somewhat repetitive as we've walked verse by verse through this book. And it almost, I mean, as we've, we've worked through it, seems normal to us, right? I mean, just common. It's, it's helpful for us to be reminded that this is not normal. And this was not, and this is not common. No one was healed in Jesus' day before him. There was practically no understanding of disease. There was practically no treatment at all for disease. This story and in the the healing of the deaf man, you, you hear part of what was the common belief of healing in their day, which was spittle had some healing power. We, we know today the exact opposite of that, unless it's Jesus' spit. What Jesus has been doing through Mark is absolutely amazing. Most historians believe that Jesus had practically vanquished all disease from Israel during his ministry. That his, his healing ministry was so great and so many people who, who were ill had come to him that Israel entered into this, this season where there was very little disease because of Jesus' presence. To be chronically sick or to have an impairment of some kind would have been terrible in Jesus' day. There were, there were no physicians. There were no hospitals. There were essentially no treatments. You were, for the most part, an outcast from society. Blindness in particular was especially difficult. As I read commentaries, I, I didn't realize that in Jesus' day, blindness was especially prevalent. And it, it makes sense when you think about it because there was no medicine. There, there were no treatments. Um, simple eye infections today that are easily treated would not have been easily treated in Jesus' day. Um, there was a lack of hygiene 
and there was no correction, no vision correction. As I read this story, I realized I would be a blind man in Jesus' day. If, I, if my vision was not corrected, if I didn't have any contact lenses or I didn't have on glasses, you all would look like a bunch of trees walking around unless you're four inches from my face. And this is the era of corona. You cannot be four inches from my face. And then there are the normal difficulties that would come with being blind, plus being seen from the religious that some sin had caused your blindness. Therefore, you were under, because you were blind, you were under the wrath of God and unable to participate in religious practices. This is John 9, 1 and 10. As he passed by, he saw a blind, uh, a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And so here Jesus heals a blind man. Now, while this probably at this point seems somewhat familiar to us, this particular healing is different. And it is different both in what Jesus does and where it is found in the text. This is one of two miracles that are found only in the Gospel of Mark. The other one is one we've already looked at, and that was Jesus' healing of a deaf man. And if you remember, there was a, a similar pattern a similar feel to that healing where Jesus took the man away from the crowd, spit, touched his ears, opened his ears. There, there's a much of a similar pattern there. And it could be and probably is that this was a, a pattern of Jesus's healings. But this healing in particular is different in that it is the only Two-stage healing that is given to us in all of the New Testament. No other time is there a two-stage healing. And you understand what I mean when I say two-stage? Jesus spits, touches. Can you see? Well, kind of. Touches again. How about now? Now I see clearly. It's the only two-stage healing. It's also different because of where it is found in the context of the gospel of Mark. The disciples, as we saw last week, still did not get it. They still did not understand this healing comes after the feeding of the 4,000, after Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees, after Jesus' interaction with the disciples in the boat when they realize they don't have bread, and after Jesus' stern questions to them. 
remember what they were. I'm not going to be on the screen, but they're just a, a few verses ahead or behind. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. Verse 16, and Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? So that comes just before Jesus' healing of this blind man. So, do you not understand? Do you not perceive? Do you have eyes and not see? Right before it, Jesus heals a blind man in a peculiar, different, two-stage way that he had not done before. And then, directly after that, there comes clear understanding and confession from the disciples of who Jesus is. That's next week's message. And so this healing sits right in the middle of stern, hard questions. Do you not see? And who do you say that I am? You are the Christ. Do you not see this healing? And then they get it. So that tells me there's something about this healing in particular. This is also the last of the really public focus of Jesus. There will still be a few healings, but from here, there is a change to where Jesus primarily focuses on the private ministry training of his disciples that comes after Peter's confession. And this miracle hangs in the middle. Why is that? It seems that there was something specific that Jesus was trying to show his disciples to teach them about their relationship with him. Let's look at the story today and see what we can learn. Verse 22. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And they and he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. These people bring Jesus, these friends bring this man to Jesus, and they beg Jesus, they implore Jesus to touch him. And Mark tells us that Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. Jesus is taking this man by the hand, teaches us some things. It teaches us, first of all, that he is compassionate. This is our compassionate Savior. We say it over and over and over again. And guess what? It bears repeating over and over and over again. Jesus is the compassionate Savior. What a kind and loving thing to do, to reach out and to grab Jesus or for Jesus to reach out and to grab this man by his hand. This is also what this man's friends asked him to do, right? They came to him and they begged him to touch him. And what does Jesus do? Jesus reaches out and touches him and takes him by the hand. Gentiles in Jesus' day were exceedingly superstitious. 
And they had heard certainly by this point that there was something miraculous about this man's touch, that if he touched you, you were healed, or even if you touched him, you were healed. And so they probably believed that there was something special about his touch. And so they asked Jesus to touch him. You see, they had their idea of how Jesus would heal him. But that was not Jesus' plan, was it? Jesus reaches out and grabs him by the hand. Jesus does exactly what they'd asked him to do, but there is no healing when that takes place. And the reality is, is that if we are not careful, we can live the exact same way that these friends are living, where we have our ideas and expectations about how God will work. How God will minister his means of grace. Here's what I mean by that. I mean that we, if we're not careful, we can force our experiences on others. And how God worked with us, we can force that on others and put on that the expectation that that's the only way God works. For example, we're good Baptists. To think or to believe that you can only be saved if you walk an aisle or say a prayer. While that may be my experience, that may be your experience, that may be the culture within Southern Baptist churches, that is not the only way that God works, and that is not the only way that people are saved. And we need to be careful about limiting God with our presumptions about how he ought to work. Because the reality is we cannot limit God. If we think that he can work only according to our cultural ways or our experiences, we can resist God's working in mysterious ways and we will limit our usefulness in the kingdom of God. The reality is God is fully sovereign and can work in many different ways. And for some, all Jesus had to do was touch them. For some, all Jesus had to do was say the word. For some, he grabs them by the hand, leads them out of the village, and, ha- and, and touches them twice. What a beautiful picture of Jesus grabbing this man by the hand and leading him out of the village. You know, this means that Jesus kept holding his hand. This is a a very personal thing to do, right? To hold somebody's hand is very personal. It's very personal. And it can get awkward quickly. If you don't anticipate it or plan for it, the next time someone reaches out to shake your hand, shake it and just keep holding on to it. It gets awkward. Because it is personal and it is intimate to hold someone's hand. And this is exactly what Jesus does. He grasps his hands. He holds his hand. He guides him lovingly, caringly, with the disciples in tow. Leading this man out of the village. His disciples following 
those who he had just called blind, leading them also out of what seems to be spiritual blindness. Mark continues, and when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked, do you see anything? This is the only time recorded in the gospel where Jesus asks the person he is healing a question. Now, was it because Jesus was unsure if his healing had worked? No, of course not. Or could it be, like all of Jesus' other miracles, this miracle was a sign? It was a teaching opportunity, not for the blind man, but for his disciples who are still not clearly seeing. So Jesus spits on his eyes, he lays his hands on him, he asks him, do you see him? And verse 24, the man looked up, literally lifted his eyes to see. And he said, well, I see people. I see people. Literally, that is, I see the people. Most likely referring to the disciples. Remember, Jesus had led him out of the village and his disciples followed along and he opened his eyes. He looked up to see and he's, I see the people. I see the men. I see the disciples here. But they look like trees walking. That's funny to us, right? It means that they were out of focus. If you think about it, there are a lot of similarities between people and trees. Both have trunks, both have appendages, both stand vertical, but there wasn't a clarity enough to tell the difference for this man between a person and a tree. And so verse 25, then Jesus laid his hands on him again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Three different verbs here, all driving home the same point in three different ways. He opened his eyes. His sight was restored. He saw everything clearly. He brings this man in this moment to absolute perfect vision. I can only imagine what that would be like. And he sent him home saying... Do not even enter the village. In other words, do not tell anyone. We, we've, we've covered this before. Again, Jesus does not want to draw crowds that are only interested in, in the, the mighty works of miracles that he does. He doesn't want to be known only as a miracle worker. He wants to preach and teach God's word. So that's, that's this interaction this strange, peculiar, two-stage interaction that falls right between the disciples not getting it and the disciples getting it. So what is the purpose of this miracle? Well, first, I would say that this, again, is another validation of the true identity of Jesus Christ, the opening of the eyes. The eyes. 
The prophet Isaiah prophesied that when the Messiah comes, he would open the eyes of the blind. That would be a mark of his ministry here on earth, and that would be a mark of his millennial reign. Isaiah 35, 4 and 5, say to those who have been anxious, who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. The eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Jesus is fulfilling Old Testament prophecy as he heals this blind man. It is validation of his true identity. Jesus' response to John the Baptist's questions say the same thing. John the Baptist, before his death, is in prison and he has a moment of Questioning. And so he sends his disciples to Jesus. Matthew 11, 1 through 6, when Jesus had finished instructing his twelves, he went on from there to teach and preach in the cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent words to his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? It's a peculiar question for John the Baptist to ask out of all people. It seems to me that he must have been feeling like if he is the Messiah, why am I still here in prison? So are you the one or should we be looking for another because I'm still sitting here? And Jesus answered and said to them, go and tell John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive their Sight. A lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised and the poor have the good news preached to them and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Jesus' response to John the Baptist about who he is, that he is the one, is that the blind are seeing. The blind are seeing. It seems that it is this miracle combined with all the countless ones before it that God uses to open the eyes of his disciples so that they now see who he really is. It is not insignificant that the next paragraph is the first time someone other than a demon confesses Jesus as Messiah. That's next week. That's the first thing we can understand about this miracle like those that had come before it. This is another validation of Jesus's true identity that he is the promised Messiah. That's the first thing we can learn. Here's the second thing. Now, that first one's clear. The second one isn't so clear. And I don't want to read into the text, but there are a number of theologians that get here. But it seems that this healing was emblematic of the disciples seeing 
and that they needed another touch from Jesus to be able to see. See, just before this, can you not see? Jesus heals a blind man in a particular way. Then they make their first confession of who Jesus is. Now, the text does not tell us why Jesus did this two-stage miracle with a second touch. But again, the context gives us some clues. This healing was a lesson for the disciples that only as Jesus keeps on opening your eyes to him, Will you see him clearly? The disciples needed a second touch. They had eyes, but did not clearly see. They had been touched by Jesus, hadn't they? They'd been called by him. They'd walked with him. They'd followed him. They'd heard his teaching. They'd been exposed to him. They'd seen the miraculous things that Jesus had done. They had begun to see. Remember, after Jesus walks on the water to them, Mark doesn't record it, but Matthew does. Matthew 14, And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. They saw in part, yet they did not see clearly. Because they still didn't clearly understand. By Mark 8, they still don't understand. It's like they see men, but they look like trees walking around. They see a little... They understand a little about who Jesus is. But they don't understand clearly yet. They needed a second touch. Now, please remember what I said earlier. That there is a danger to believe that God only works in one way. Okay? Or that the way that God's worked with you is the only way that he ought to work with another. That truth applies here as well. If Jesus worked this way with his disciples, it does not necessarily mean that this is the way he has to work with us. And the reason why I say that is because there are some denominations that build a theology around a second touch. Most commonly, that forms around a baptism of the Holy Spirit evidenced by speaking in tongues, that it's a second touch, that you can come to a a saving knowledge of Jesus, but yet not fully grasp it, get it, walk in it until you receive the Holy Spirit as a second touch from God as evidenced in speaking of the Holy or in speaking of tongues. You cannot get from this text to there. That's that's an enormous leap to believe that there is a necessity for every person to receive a second touch. It took two for this blind man. It seems like it has taken two for the disciples, and so therefore it must take two for us. You can't take this text 
and apply it to everyone as a doctrine of spiritual experience. But I see that happening in this text. And I also see this text as a great correlation to many today. Because culturally, here in the South, many are raised in the church. So many are exposed to the things of God. They hear the gospel. They see somewhat, but they don't really see. I'm going to get real personal with you, and I'm going to let you know what this means to me. Maybe it'll help you think through it, because this is how I wrestle through it. I have two children that I love dearly, and they are the children of a pastor, and they go to a Christian school, and they are at church every single week. And they have been exposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ from the moment they were able to understand English. They know it. They see it. But I do not want them to think that that is enough. Because there is great danger in only seeing a little bit. And I don't want my children to think that the fact that their daddy is the pastor or that they know the Bible or that they understand doctrines and theologies, that that is enough. Because it is not enough. It is not enough. It takes more than that. It takes more than that. We're, we're working through with Eli. Eli's going to be 10. Everybody says, don't talk about your, your family when you preach, but you're all family. I'll talk about y'all. <laughs> Eli's going to be 10, and he's, 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 he's asking about baptism. And if you asked him, what is the gospel? He's going to give you the answer. He's going to give you the answer. He knows the Bible. He has uh, incredibly good reasoning skills. Like the third grade, he tested in an eighth grade level of reasoning. He can work these things out. He knows them in his mind. But that is not enough. They've, they've got to, they got to take root in his heart. They got to be set ablaze in his heart. He's got to not just know it because of who I am or because of what he's been taught. He's got to know it because Jesus has touched him. Amen. There are so many today that know it, they see it. But there is great danger in only seeing a little bit. 
This may be true of some of you today. You've been around the gospel since you were born. You kind of see it, but not clearly enough in a way that changes everything. You might think that it's good enough that I walked an aisle or it's good enough that I said a prayer or it's good enough that I was baptized. But what you need is a real second touch that takes the gospel and drives it deep into your heart in a way that changes everything and only God can do that. For every single one of us, this is a process that takes place for our whole life. This is Ephesians 1, starting in verse 15. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. I could stop there, but I don't want to. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked In Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age that is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Jesus takes this blind man by the hand. And he leads him out of the town. And his disciples follow behind. He spits in his eyes and he touches them and he says, can you see? And he says, ah, kind of. His disciples standing there the whole time and Jesus touches him again and says, how about now? And it seems in that moment, supernaturally, Spiritually, the eyes of the hearts of the disciples were opened. Who is it that you say that I am? And they know. And guess what? Nothing else is the same after that. Nothing else is the same for them. That's how we get from a boat ride after Jesus fed 4,000 people, after Jesus fed 20,000 people in a boat saying, we got but one loaf of bread. (laughs) To being martyred one after the other for the gospel. That's how we get there. Because Jesus opens the eyes of their heart and they begin to see. I pray that for me. I pray that for my kids. 
I pray that for you. I pray that for your kids, that we would have eyes that really see. Father, would you help us not to believe that exposure to you is enough, that knowledge of the gospel in an intellectual way is enough, that the simple knowing of the scriptures is enough, that having the right answers is enough. It is not enough. Being in this place is not enough. Having godly parents or grandparents is not enough. Walking an aisle is not enough. Being baptized is not enough. What we need, every single one of us, what we need is for you to come and to touch us and to open the eyes of our hearts so that we can see clearly who you really are and that that would move us and motivate us to give our lives for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Christ Central Church sermon series. To find our gathering location and more sermons, visit ChristCentralChurch.net.